Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 79. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration make electrolyte supplements that you can tailor to your individual sweat sodium content so that you properly replenish the sodium that you lose through your sweat based on your individual physiology. And in times like these with still a lot of indoor training, and usually that means a lot of sweating, that can be particularly useful so that you can go through all that indoor training without experiencing any dramatic loss in performance, which uh, might be the result if you're not staying on top of your hydration, uh, especially for those of you that are salty sweaters. You can get 15% off your order on Precision Hydration with the promo code DEATTRAFLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka just turned seven years, so I want to wish them a happy birthday once again. They have gone from starting out as just a garage project in Texas to develop a wetsuit to being the world-leading manufacturer of not just wetsuits, but also tri-suits and swimskins and uh, goggles and high-performance eyewear and are used by some of the best athletes on the planet today. And uh, speaking of wetsuits, uh, one of the few options for swimming for most listeners now might be open water swimming. Uh, obviously, depending on where you are, that might not be a relevant option because waters are still too cold. But some of you may be in climates where that just might be an option. So uh, consider that. And uh, if you need a new wetsuit for that wetsuit swimming season, then Roka is the place to go. They also have thermal wetsuit options that you can check out if you your water is uh, on the cold side. But uh, I want to mention, if you go and do open water swimming, be sure to stay safe, have somebody with you to monitor you and uh, take that, uh, take all the precautions that are necessary for that sort of training. You can get 20% off your entire Roka order when you go to roka.com forward slash TTS to get a special discount code. All right, let's get into today's questions, which are from Lars in Germany, who writes, Hello, Michael. I live in a very hilly region. It's so hilly that it's next to impossible to find flat courses. For example, on all my running courses, I get at least 100 meters of elevation per five kilometers. There are simply no courses with less, and most courses have even more. On the bike, it's similar. If I aim for as little elevation gain as possible, I end up with 200 meters uh, in 25 kilometers, which is acceptable, but as I said, it is the absolute minimum I can get. On pretty much any other course of similar length, I end up with 600 to 700 meters of elevation, with several pretty brutal climbs. If I try to avoid ascents, I am pretty restricted in my number of different courses, and there is still a significant amount of elevation gain left. I have several questions regarding this. Should I avoid hills in certain types of workouts? So I'm going to answer uh, this question first and I'm going to read all the rest of this part of the question. So uh, the, the entire question is, should I avoid hills in certain types of workouts? For example, staying in zone 2 or recovering from intervals is impossible on some courses due to some pretty brutal climbs. 
and sustained efforts would be more difficult if I constantly have to adjust to different gradients. I can get a somewhat flat course by going to one of the very few segments with little elevation and go back and forth because none of them is very long, but this is obviously very repetitive and making several U-turns during an FTP test probably does not help either. So to answer that question, it uh, depends on the workout and a little bit also on what equipment you have, but I'll get to that in the run part. But uh, for cycling, if we start with that, I think that on days when you have something quite specific in your training plan, then you might be better off doing it indoors on the trainer. Of course, certain types of workouts shorter intervals in particular you could probably do outside as heel repeats instead of indoors on the trainer or and you won't be uh, that one will be a, an excellent uh, choice to do them outdoors as heel repeats but keep in mind that you would actually have to do them probably as heel repeats so you're going up you're going down you're going up you're going down you're not doing them as a kind of sustained round uh, loop course or anything like that so and that obviously depends on depending on how long heels you have that sort of sets the restrictions for what types of workouts you can do if you have a five minute climb then you can do up to five minute intervals which would be sort of long long vo2 max intervals but if you have climbs that are up to 15 minutes then you could do threshold intervals as as hill repeats so so that really um, sets the boundary conditions for what type of workouts you could do outside but generally, I, I think that if you don't want to do those hill repeats or if you can't do them because you don't have hills that are that long for whatever you're trying to do, then the indoor trainer is the best option. As for your endurance rides in zone two, I think it's completely fine to do them outdoors on those hilly routes if you can make sure that the majority of your riding is in the right training zones. It does not have to be 100% perfect. If you have a couple of steep climbs in there that are just impossible to get up, if you do anything less than tempo or threshold power, then so be it. It's not uh, going to make or break your workout if that's just a smaller part of your ride. And uh, overall, it still uh, is in the right training zone and intensity. So that's for cycling. As for running, the situation you have is one where I would actually strongly recommend getting a stride run power meter to be able to see in real time without the drawbacks of what well, pace obviously is not useful on hills and heart rate is only useful when the effort is quite sustained so you can see in real time how hard you're actually going with heart rate so a stride run power meter would be a good piece of equipment to get for your area uh, both for general running to make sure that you have intensity control but also to find the right effort for different types of workouts that you might be doing on those hills and when it comes to the types of runs and how to deal with the terrain for your easy runs 100 meters of elevation per five kilometer uh, five kilometers that's that's a lot that and I can already say that I think it's it's really too much to make it possible to run that run really easy. Like you can definitely not make it a recovery run. You can probably make it an endurance run, at least if you're a strong runner. But uh, that, that is a lot. And something that you probably would see pro athletes do in your situation is to actually do their easy runs on the treadmill where they can really make sure that easy is easy if that is an option that is available. This might, of course, not be realistically possible for you. 
in which case the best you can do is simply take as flat a course as you possibly can and going as easy as you possibly can walking up some steep hills if that's what's needed and perhaps you might uh, need to do several really short loops that you can find that are fairly flat rather than doing one whatever kilometer loop because that might just take you to too big too many hills that you just end up accumulating so much gain that at the end of the day you're not really doing a the run that you intended to do so so that's i guess the the main gist of it just do the best of your situation if you happen to live very close to your gym and you have a gym membership and they have a treadmill then i would strongly recommend that that's something that you could use to your advantage and use to be able to control the intensity better on some of your easy runs not necessarily all of them but at least some so that's what it, when it comes to those easier endurance runs in terms of the workouts for tempo and threshold workouts so your zone three and zone four type of work they're all about sustained strong efforts and i think that that can be done really well on fairly hilly courses when you learn how to do it well so so they can be done but uh, but it's something that uh, definitely takes practice and you might need to expect it to take some time specifically i think it's very very easy to go too hard to go way above threshold and uh, that you will see that if you have a run power meter or get a run power meter and you start monitoring what happens when you when you go up those hills that without you realizing that you're anywhere near threshold you're actually way above it so so you'll see that very clearly and but repeatedly going above threshold will eventually cost you in terms of your overall workout quality so that's something that you'll simply have to learn to avoid and going much easier than you think that you should go uphill because it feels too easy once you start the hill but if it's an anything like a sustained climb then once you get to the top of it you'll be happy that you paced yourself right so so that's uh, why a power meter in this particular terrain where you live would be useful and uh, what you want to do there if you're doing things like those tempo or threshold workouts is to simply run at your target effort or target power on those flat segments and on uphills your power might increase a little bit but you should still as i said make sure that it doesn't really go above threshold and on downhills your power will probably be and i'm assuming here a power meter but uh, you can translate this to just perception of effort you cannot translate this to pace maybe heart rate to some extent yeah that kind of works not ideally so i think that perception of effort or rpe is really the secondary target if you don't have power so on downhills your power if you have a power meter will be lower than your target power for the entire interval or tempo run but try to still keep it a steady or even a strong effort so keep that up and and just run that more or less to to feel to make sure that you're not slacking off and that your heart rate stays kind of elevated even if it may go down a bit that's that's totally fine the net result for a tempo run like this or a threshold run or threshold intervals might be a lower average power than you might have seen if you were running on a completely flat route but that doesn't really matter much it uh, will be close enough that you got the intended benefit and most likely your heart rate will be as high or higher when running these kinds of tempo or threshold workouts on hilly terrains as flat, as flat terrain because you just have a little bit of a more variability in your uh, in your output and you also work on some different muscle fibers potentially with with the different types of gradients that you're running on 
So even if your average power might be a bit lower than on a flat course, it doesn't mean that it's worse because it's not all about power. That said, if you really want to make up for whatever you think you might be losing out on, just add a little bit more duration. So if you had your plan calls for a 30-minute tempo run, make it a 35-minute tempo run to make up for the fact that you will have some downhills that essentially form a sort of recovery in within that tempo segment. The next type of workouts, VO2 max workouts, they can definitely be done uphill. And from an injury prevention standpoint, when we're talking about running here, that is actually a huge benefit of doing these workouts on hills because your speed, the impact forces, and your stride length will be much less than it would be on the, fl- on the flat roads. But you can still get your cardiovascular system to work just as hard. But uh, keep in mind that you might still lose out on some things that you would get on the flats and specifically the neuromuscular side of things. So if you never train at high speeds and high turnovers that you would have on, on the flats, then that neuromuscular efficiency might become more of a limiting factor for you and you will simply waste a bit more energy when running at higher intensities because you're not as efficient. So I would probably recommend that uh, you should do at least, well, I would definitely recommend that you do at least some type of leg speed training like strides and you should do them on flats or even on uh, slight downhills. But what you could also do is if your plan has VO2 max intervals in them, you could either just choose to do them back and forth on whatever flat uh, segment that you have on your normal routes, or you could mix and match. So you maybe alternate between doing uphill VO2 max workouts and work and VO2 max workouts on the flats. So uh, that's uh, a couple of options that you have for those. And as for whether to use those flatter segments that you mentioned and that I just mentioned as well for longer bouts of work by just going back and forth, back and forth, I think it comes down to whether or not you can stay mentally engaged while doing so and whether you think it's worth it for the benefit that you get, which might be pace control, intensity control, etc. And if that sort of is a beneficial trade-off with the potential boredom that you might experience if you don't like running back and forth, back and forth on the same segment. And that is quite individual. So it's really something that uh, that you have to figure out what the right solution for you is. Personally, I'm actually in a bit of a similar situation to you, although my, ter- my terrain is definitely not uh, anywhere near as extreme as yours. But uh, it is hilly and I have very little flat terrain. So Sometimes when I have wanted really good pace control for a tempo run, for example, I've actually gone to the track and I run 8, 10, 11, 12 kilometers at tempo effort or tempo pace round and round and round the track. And I found it perfectly enjoyable, to be honest. But uh, I know that this is not everybody's cup of tea. So you need to figure figure out whether, whether that trade-off is worth it for you. So that's the answer to the first question that you had. And the second question is, I heard that the power you can sustain is higher on hills than on flats. Is this true? And if the answer is yes, why is this the case? And what are the implications for training? Should I aim for higher power on hills? So here, I'm pretty sure that you're referring to the bike, that you might be able to sustain a higher power uh, going uphill, for example, doing an FTP test uphill compared to flats. So that is what I'll discuss here. And when you look at the research, there is some research done on this topic, 
but the evidence is quite mixed, I would say, from what I've seen at least. So I don't think that we can definitely conclude that power is higher uphill than on flats. Although uh, I should say that um, there are things pointing towards that that could be the case. And uh, anecdotally, a lot of people seem to report that that is the case for them. And in the studies, when we look at the compare the groups that do a time trial on or compare the time trial condition that is uh, uphill with the time trial condition that is on a flat road, for example, it is quite common to see that although there is no statistically significant difference, the the uphill condition produced 5% or so higher power than the flat condition. So it comes down a bit maybe to sem- small sample sizes and statistical power. But uh, again, we can't just say that that's the case just because we think that we see something when there isn't any a strong enough sample size to, to prove that. So So I would say that we we don't know it but it is possible and if this hypothesis would be true then potential reasons for it might be that your position on the bike changes a bit when riding uphill so you might get into a more upright position and produce power in a more directly downward trajectory and even more so you might even do some of your pedaling while standing and uh also, another difference might be is cadence, and that is something that I read in a research paper that I looked at while preparing this for this question, which is interesting because uh, actually gross efficiency tends to improve with lower cadence compared to higher cadence. So when we compare, for example, 60 RPM with 90 RPM, most athletes are more efficient. They have higher gross efficiency at 60 RPM. However, there are studies that have specifically looked at gross efficiency for an uphill cycling condition versus a flat cycling condition, and they have shown that gross efficiency is decreased. So you'd think that the effects sort of cancel each other out. It really is quite paradoxical. I don't have any good answer to this, but this is one potential reason that is thrown about in in research papers on this topic. So I wanted to mention it, even though it doesn't necessarily make the most sense in the world. Um, it some other reasons could be muscle fiber recruitment and this could be due to cadence that you might recruit uh, a larger pool of muscle fiber potentially more fast twitch muscle fibers help pull the load and generally there is also some potential evidence in different muscle activation patterns which could be beneficial and that might be one of the potential reasons that maybe you are actually able to put out higher powers on hills but first of all we don't know for sure that you can actually sustain higher powers, higher powers on hills. So as for the implications for training, I wouldn't worry about trying to aim for higher powers on hills. And I think that even if it was the case that we knew that there was a 5% difference, the natural day-to-day variations in performance are on the same scale, potentially even bigger than that difference in the uphill versus flat condition. So for that reason, no, don't change your target power uh, if you do a workout uphill versus on the flats uh, in in general. Let's say that your aim for a certain session is to do intervals at 300 watts and you decide that this time you're going to do them as hill repeats. Shoot for that same 300 watts. But as with any training, you should uh, not just be paying attention to the numbers on your screen. You should pay attention to the signals of your body to the effort level that you experience 
And if the goal of the day, and this is where you need to know the purpose of the workout, not just the power numbers, if those intervals at 300 watts are meant to target your VO2 max, so it's a VO2 max workout, and doing them at 300 watts in the first uh, or one or two intervals, it feels just a bit too easy for what VO2 max should feel like, well, then it probably is a bit too easy and you should increase power because it feels too easy. But this, of course, is true even if you do the workout on the indoor trainer or on the flats. So really, there are no specific implications for training, even if there is, even if the potential that you might be able to sustain higher power uphill would be true. And moving on to the final part of the question, which is, you repeatedly stress the usefulness of hill workouts to develop muscular power. Since pretty much anything I do includes hills, for example, every single long run, would this give me similar results to some dedicated hill workouts? And as a consequence, should I not do things like hill sprints because I already got get enough adaptations in my normal day-to-day training? So in this um, uh, question, I think it's pretty clear that we're referring to running. So let's revert back to discussing running again. I would say that uh, hill work that you do as part of your long runs or general endurance ride runs or tempo runs, it's sort of quote-unquote free strength endurance work. Of course, it's not exactly free. It likely means that you have slightly higher recovery demands and uh, you need to take that into consideration. You need to be sensible about both your workout execution, as we already discussed a bit, and you need to have a reasonable oral structure of your training plan. Uh, but uh, but if you take care of those things, then yeah, you can kind of look at it in a way as free running speed. That's at least what I tell tell myself when I sometimes think that my uh, the routes that uh, that I run are too hilly. So generally, it is a positive thing, and I would much rather have your situation with only hills and tons of hills than to have only have access to pancake flat roads, because I do believe that even just getting a lot of unstructured exposure to hills is a positive thing. That being said, uh, all that unstructured exposure to hills does not mean that some dedicated hill workouts wouldn't be useful. Uh, Do you have to do them or you won't be able to be a good runner? No, of course not. But I think there is uh, an argument for including some, some structured hill workouts as well. And hill sprints, for example, they aim to improve your neuromuscular and even technical abilities. So things like your maximum power and your force production your ground contact time and your posture and hip flexion and extension and arm action. So both on the neuromuscular side and on the form side of things or technical side of things is some of the the things that we're really working on there. And some of these, sure, you will be able to work on as part of a regular run. Posture in particular is one that any hill you run on, try to run with good posture. And that is going to be a a good, good little use of that hill. But things like maximum power and uh, force production and rate of force production, ground contact time, greater hip flexion and extension that you would do when running actually when actually sprinting, those are things that you won't get to any significant degree through unstructured training. So that is why I would definitely recommend doing some hill sprints because they're good and you won't get all of those adaptations from just your normal day-to-day running. I also think that form hills that I have talked about previously in Q&A number 72, which just quickly would generally mean 30 to 60, maybe 90 second 
Uh, heal repeats that are fairly strong, but they are controlled. They're nowhere near maximal effort. Generally, I would say zone 3 or at most zone 4 effort, not going above threshold and focusing on form at all times, not intensity. Those are heals that are worth including because I think that when you have that specific target to focus on form for a specific duration, you do a much, much, much better job of achieving that than you would as part of a long run where for all your best intentions, you just aren't very likely to stay as focused on form as you would if that is the main purpose of that particular main set. As for other types of dedicated heel workouts, I mentioned already shorter intervals like VO2 max intervals, and uh, they have the advantage that when doing them uphill, the injury risk in particular for hamstrings is lower. So if you have a history of injuries, and especially hamstring injuries, then that might be a good idea. But it's not a type of workout that I prescribe for every athlete. Definitely not. It's uh, I would actually probably mostly prescribe VO2 max workouts to be done on flatter roads, uh, unless there is an injury history there that we kind of want to to deal with and, uh, and have uh, injury prevention in mind. And uh, finally, uh, I think that I should, or I want to mention tempo runs so extended work at sort of zone free like strong steady strong intensity doing them on just generally hilly terrain is excellent but uh, yeah that is not necessarily what you mean with a dedicated hill workout as uh, you're just doing a run and you're you will just take the hills as they come sort of but uh, that is one workout that I think is highly useful to do and maybe think of even selecting a route that will give you a good amount of solid hill work, even though maybe avoiding the very steepest hills would be beneficial. So I, I would rather have a sort of rolling course rather than something with, with very, very steep and brutal hills. But uh, yeah, that's perhaps something that you just need to consider based on where you live i do think that extended temperance are great to include but that's perhaps something that you're already doing as part of your unstructured training just remember what i said about not going too hard when going uphill in these runs because it's so easy to go above a threshold and then you can sort of either do just too much compared to what you were meant to do or potentially even get a worse workout as a result because you might not be able to sustain the intensity that you should overall because you're going too hard on the hills there you go i hope that answers your questions lars and uh, that is it for this week's q and a i will link in the episode description to q and a 72 that i mentioned and for anybody that has questions that they want answered on q and a's please keep sending them in to my email. You can find it on the website or you can just uh, type it in directly. It's michael at scientifictriathlon.com and it's michael with a K. Tune in again on Monday where we have part two of my interview with David Tilbury Davis, the perspectives of coaching episode coming up. And if you are a long-time listener of the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review to help more listeners find it, help it uh, stay high or get higher in the iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify rankings, whatever rankings we're talking about. Uh, I think iTunes and Apple Podcasts are the best places to review it because actually when we look at the download stats, most people that listen to podcasts are still on that Apple ecosystem, uh, which is interesting, but yeah, that's the way it is and um, so yeah i highly appreciate it if you can do that if you enjoy the podcast it means a lot and i read every single one of those reviews 
Big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy and get 15% off your order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. That's where you can get a 20% discount code for your entire order, whether you're going for wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, or prescription glasses. Roka, have you covered. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.